Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today, we are going to start our journey through the Gospels. Now, Paul, would you like to explain to our listeners the particular approach that we're going to use when teaching about the Gospels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so we could just pick a book of the Gospels and go through it beginning to end. And then do another one and another one and another one. But if we did that, there'd be a lot of repeating, and it's not really what we want to do. So what we're going to try to do is find our way through all four Gospels at the same time, trying to get them in some sort of a, maybe a time sequence or uh, trying to keep the stories aligned together. So we may be talking about... um, portions of the scripture from three of the books at the same time, or maybe even all four at the same time, whatever, uh, so that it's like a a one time through the Gospels covers everything. We don't have to worry about repeating. So, uh, and I think uh, the reasonable place to start is going to be in John, the first chapter of John. So that's my plan. That good? Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to feel new for a lot of people, but we hope that you can see why as we get into it. Yeah, we hope it makes sense. So let's go ahead. Okay. Um, if uh, I don't know if you're using a Bible or something on your screen or whatever. Let's get to John chapter 1, verse 1, and let's get started. First thing it says, Samuel, is in the beginning. And so I got to ask, does that remind you of anything else in your Bible? Reminds me of the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1. Exactly. And do you think John did that on purpose, or it was just an accident? If you're thinking chronologically, Genesis came before the New Testament, so it seems like he's referencing it. Yeah, he did. He's doing this on purpose because he wants to put you, the reader, he wants to put you and your mind, your thinking back in the creation story. Now tell me, uh, what are some of the, th- the highlights from that creation story? Just chapter one, what are some things that stand out to you that he might want us thinking about? Let's see, a uh, spirit hovering over some chaotic waters, mm, uh, some type of different light that's created that's not our typical sunlight Uh, creation of land plants animals eventually creation of human beings right and in all those final things the the plants and the animals and the humans we could we could uh sort of summarize that down to just life right so all of those things are going on in the creation story john says in the beginning This is like a very common uh, approach to speaking and writing. Back in the first century, they're going to mention the first phrase of some portion of Scripture or whatever because they want you to go back there. They want you to be there in your head, okay? So he says, in the beginning, and then he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, what I need you to do is get everything out of your head that's normally in your head. Pretend like you've never read this before. You're back in the first century. And when he says, in the beginning was the word, just tell me, do you think that the reader had any idea what John was talking about? Or do you think John is creating this new sort of cool metaphor or something and we're waiting to figure out what that is? Well, based on his first phrase, if he's starting off an entire book by referencing things that have already been written, it seems like he's going to talk about something as well that they are familiar with. Yeah, very perceptive, Mr. West. <laughs> so, yeah, this is what he's doing. So, let's, let's read a little more of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, just for a second, I know I told you to get everything out of your head, you know, from modern day, but now I want you to put it back in there. (laughs) What do most people do when they read this little section of scripture? What do they actually, in their own brain, do they summarize that to? Jesus. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. They read the whole thing and they get to the end of it. And the only thing their brain does is go, Jesus, that's it. It's a whole thing. And they're missing the good part of the story. They're missing what's really going on. So this whole concept of the word and the word being God and, and, and the word being with God and around during the creation... This is all stuff that already existed in the minds, definitely of John, the writer, and and in his readers. A lot of Jewish believers were reading. There were some Gentile believers reading, but they were getting their information from the Jewish believers. So they already knew what this was. So we need to talk a little bit about it. Now, here's the thing. John is using the phrase, the word, very, very common. But it wasn't the only way that they did this. They also referred to it as the wisdom. Um, There were some who even associated it with, you know, that that light of creation that you were talking about. Some people actually referred to it uh, or or equated it with even the Torah, the first five books. Um, A whole bunch of things. But, But this word, this whole idea that John is playing with here already existed. Now, it's in a lot of the... A lot of the writings outside of the Bible, so uh, in the Talmud and some of the Midrash and the Targums and all these things, that we'll, we'll talk about that stuff later, but in the scripture itself, the best example we had of, of this is when in Proverbs we're talking about wisdom. So I want to jump out of John for a second. Let's go to Proverbs and see what he's talking about and understand that this, this whole concept is already existing, and people are just joining in with what John is inviting them to join into, okay? So, uh, for example, Proverbs 3.19 says that the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. And that little preposition there, by, what could be from wisdom, or in wisdom, or through wisdom, okay? Uh, But you see it, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. And then uh, Proverbs 8 is another one. Uh, I'm going to read some here, uh, starting in verse 22. Proverbs 8, 22, he says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Now, we haven't uh, uh, seen it, but but the, the one who's talking here, the one who's saying, I, me, is wisdom, right? And so you see this whole idea that that this, this wisdom was with God and he was with him at the beginning, right? And he goes on, it's like, there were no depths I was brought forth, no springs uh, before the mountains, before the hills I'm brought forth. He made the earth, fields, dust, established the heavens. I was there. Uh, drew the circle on the face of deep. He made the firm skies. He established the fountains, assigned the sea to its limit. Waters won't transgress because of his command. Marked out. The, I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in this inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So this idea that you see here in Proverbs, I'm, I read uh, chapter 8, verses 22 to 31. This idea that in, in this case is wisdom is the exact same idea that John is talking about when he's talking about the word. So does that kind of make some sense? Is that you following me? I think so, yeah. And to kind of add to the discussion, I actually recently read a specific Midrash that was concerning this piece of Scripture in Proverbs 8 that I think is really cool and maybe can help the listeners as well. 
specifically specifically in Proverbs eight thirty when it says, "Then I was beside him like a master workman." Uh, the rabbis say that Hebrew word for master workman, Amon, if I may be pronouncing it horribly wrong, but another way to translate that is actually artisan. And so the writers are saying the Torah or the wisdom is saying, oh, I was the artisan tool of the Lord. And another way that they explain it is in the way of secular world, a king of flesh and blood who builds a castle does not do so from his own knowledge, but rather he has scrolls and books in order to know how to make rooms and doorways. So too, God gazed into this wisdom and created oh. the world. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And now see, all of this, the, the, the thing that we read in Proverbs and the, the extra that you brought from the Midrash, right? We look at this and now let's go back and just listen to these verses again and, and see how they've suddenly gained an entire new rich world of meaning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I mean, it changes everything. And so this word, if, if I could maybe just take it a little bit further before we move on, um, the way that this comes about, whether you're using word or wisdom or Torah or light or whatever it might be, see, way, way back in the day, the rabbis or the thinkers or whatever they were called back way in the day, they were sitting around going, okay, hold on a second. We've got God. And God, you know, you could use words like transcendent or infinite or whatever. But the idea is God is so immense, so outside of creation that it doesn't make sense that God could somehow be in creation. I mean, how do you take something infinite and stuff it inside the finite, right? It, there's something wrong about that image. And so what they did was come up with this idea where, well, see, God, God has taken an expression of himself. And it, I mean, it's him, it's, it's like you can't say that it's somehow missing something from God, and yet, at the same time, it's limited because it has to be because it's interacting with creation, right? It's, it's in creation. It speaks, and, and I mean, sometimes it's even visible or, or whatever. It manifests in all these different ways. And so that concept is... Is, is the idea behind the word or the wisdom or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's an expression of God's person. You might say it's maybe his agent or something. It, it's not that he's less than God, and yet he is limited and finite. So I don't know. It's kind of a, it's just a cool picture. But now you've got that from verses one through three. Are we good to try to go on? I think so, yeah. One of the things that has helped me in the past when I've reread John in this new lens is actually to, to start practicing replacing uh, the word, quote, word with wisdom, and that helps as well. So like in the beginning was the wisdom, and the wisdom was with God, and the wisdom actually was God, and the wisdom was in the beginning, that kind of thing. I, and I know it's yeah. a simple word change, but it, it helps getting that narrative down a little bit differently than just Jesus. Yeah, yeah, because it's helping you bring the idea that John is trying to convey into the story, right? It, oh, I could replace it with this word, and it still means the same thing. Yeah, I'm not so focused on the word, I'm focused on the concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good, good, good thinking. All right. So let's go on. We get to verse four, and he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, here's a question. Who is him? I think he's still talking about the wisdom, that agent, the representative of God. Yeah. In him, in the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. Okay? So, so this word has life in him. And, and again, what was the very, very first thing that John said? In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, yeah. And so we can see in the creation story that the word was there. God was creating through the word, by the word, however you want to say it. And what happened in the, in the creation story? Well, life, right? So in this word was life. And the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness. Darkness hasn't overcome it. Which light do you think this is from the creation story? It seems like it would be the first light, the, um, not, the, not the sun. Right. So day one, you've got light separated from darkness, but it's day four when you get like sun, moon, and stars, all that kind of thing, right? So he's, he's purposely taking you now to the mysterious light of day one. Which, what, what happened to that light, Samuel? <laughs> I mean, it's not on earth right now, is it? <laughs> well, I, that's the thing, right? We, there, there's something mysterious about it, because we don't really know. It's like, well, is it still around, and we just don't really know how to recognize it or point it out? Or has it been concealed? Like it was a thing that was, and then it got concealed. I don't know, maybe maybe at the fall or something like that. Uh, the old stories, the, the old traditions that have been passed down say that this light has, in fact, been concealed. It's being held back for the pleasure of the righteous in the kingdom and the world to come. But John wants you to recognize, this is just another way of connecting, you know, wisdom equals word equals Torah equals light, all of these things. He's, he's now trying to, to, to get you connected to the light and the life. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that you might even imagine, uh, since we're on this topic of light, this is, I heard somebody explaining it this way, and it kind of makes some sense to me. So if you think about the sun, what would happen, Samuel, if you just, you know, stood next to the sun, leaned up against it with your shoulder, that kind of thing, what would happen? You would be instantly incinerated. <laughs> That's right. Vaporized, right? <laughs> but over here on Earth, the, the light that's coming from the sun, what does that do for you? Uh, it's helpful. It, it, it aids our health and well-being. Yeah. Warmth, energy. Uh, it helps all the plants grow. Uh, all kinds of things, right? And so in a similar kind of way, we, we have this understanding of God who is, uh, number one, uh, immense, and he's also uh, pure, in fact, so pure that if we were to enter into his presence in our current state, we would be vaporized, a lot like if we were next to the sun. So if we think of the sun versus the sunlight, and then you think of God and then his word interacting with us as like the sunlight, so we're not consumed by it. That's the image that John is playing with here. He wants us to see that this life is the light of men. It shines in the darkness. Darkness won't overcome it. It's, it's to our benefit, right? It's a good, good thing. Clear? Yeah, and I I hope our listeners don't think about that aspect of getting too close to something, whether it be this primordial light or the sunlight in a malicious sense. I think it's more, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it more like the fragility of us as humans versus the purity and the wholeness of a transcendent, perfect God? Yeah, that I mean... We, I think, as a culture, I think that we have lost the real sense 
of who God is. On on one hand, we get this idea that he's just this loving father, and we can just crawl up in his lap, and he gives us hugs and kisses and all that. And you know what? There's truth in that. That is a real thing, a real part of the relationship that someone can have with God. But it's not the whole story. This God is awesome. And you get too close, you die because you have in you sin, corruption, death, as it were. I mean, we're all dying, if you think of it that way, right? These things cannot stand in the presence of a pure and holy God. And so, yeah, there's nothing nothing mean about it. Don't get too close or I'll kill you. <laughs> well, it's not that. It's, hey, I'm dangerous not because I'm evil. I'm dangerous because I am so good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very mind-twisting, but it's a very real aspect of God. And we have to not forget that, not include it in our imaginings of, of who this God really is. Mm-hmm. That helps. Yeah. Well, yeah, it helps me. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> All right. So so we got this. Uh, John's been talking, and, and he's been trying to give us this idea that, that uh, you know, he wants us to go back to the creation story. He's talking about the Word. We've talked about all of the, 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 the tradition and everything that goes along with that, and even the light. And then he does something interesting. He's going to take us off topic here for just a second. And he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. All right. Now, first of all, who do you think he's talking about? He, well, he's not talking about the wisdom, the word, that kind of thing. He's talking about another character. Yeah. So which John was it? Got a guess? John the Baptist? Yes. He's talking about John the Baptist. And uh, now what he's saying here, I don't think there's a lot of mystery or a lot of explanation. It's like, look, there's a man. It was John the Baptist, and he was supposed to be a, a, a witness. Okay, a witness of what? Well, he was a witness about this light, which John just finished talking about, which is the word and the wisdom, and it's all of that, right? It's a witness about that light, and why? Well, so that everybody can believe through him, okay? And this John, uh, John, the writer of our gospel, wants to make sure we understand this John the Baptist, okay, he wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about it. And this light, okay, it's the true light which gives light to everyone, and this is important, and this is such an important concept in the entire New Testament. He came, it comes to the Jews, to Israel, but ultimately it is for everyone. So the true light gives light to everyone, and it was coming into the world. This was the crux of John the Baptist's message and ministry. One is coming. And what was his message, Samuel? John the Baptist's message. It's repent for the kingdom is coming. Yes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John's message was, hey, this light is coming into the world. Get ready for it. Now, then, John, the writer of the gospel, sorry, saying the word John too many times, you get confused (laughs) about who's who, Um, but he gets to verse 10 and he says this, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
Now, tough question. Who is he and him? The wisdom, the word. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody, when they're reading this, usually, they've already got Jesus all inserted in there. <laughs> and they're missing what John is saying. The word was in the world. The world was made through the word. Yet, the world did not know the word. Or you could say, the light was in the world. And the world was made through the light, yet the world did not know the light, right? You could plug all those words in, just like you said, and it's, it's the same. So John is, he, he, he mentions John the Baptist to give you an idea that, that he was proclaiming the coming of this thing, and John is still in the midst, John the writer, is still in the midst of trying to explain who or what this thing is, and it's the word or the light. So then he says in verse 11, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Who are his own people, Samuel? Seems like he's not talking about the Western church. Probably he's talking (laughs) about um, an ethnic group of people called the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, and, and again, We're trying to go back, we're trying to be in the first century, understanding everything about the people and the place and the time. When John writes this, there's no confusion. When he says he came to his own, his own people didn't receive him, he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Israel, plain and simple. But remember what he just said. He just said that it was for everyone, gives light to everyone. And then he says he came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. And then verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, that is born of God. Now, so it's important that we see it's it's for everyone, but When you hear this phrase, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, okay, what do you think that means? What's what's your internal paraphrase that's going on in your brain? You mean just first glance what it means? Yeah. Well, I I know in previous seasons, people have been, that's your profession of faith in Jesus as Lord and your faith that brings salvation and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so everybody who's been saved or everybody who's been born again, right? That's how they look at that. Now, okay, hear me clearly. I'm not saying that it's not that. It is, but, but what I'm saying is by using those words or phrases, those terms, again, we're missing what John is actually saying, in this time and in this place, and, and you can see this in, in so many other writings to understand what did people mean when they used phrases like this. To say that, that you receive him is to listen and obey. Now, that's not very intuitive, is it? No. <laughs> There's some, some layers behind whatever that uh, Greek or Hebrew word is. Yeah, well, and, and you know what? I'm so glad you said that because think about this. We're reading it in English, but the original text that we have is what? The New Testament's in Greek. Yeah, but something that's way, way more important than that is what kind of thinking was behind the Greek words? Hebraic thinking, Jewish thinking. Exactly. They thought a certain way. It got written down in, let's just say, a language, okay? So there was like a a Hebrew or Jewish way of thinking, and and it wasn't limited to them. I mean, if you go to uh, the ancient Near East or, you know, like first century Near East, Middle East, that kind of thing, they don't think like we do. That's what's behind these words. So when we see the phrase, 
all who did receive him, well, we think of that in modern day English. But that's not what they're talking about. So to receive him is to listen and obey. How about believed in his name? Well, that is to trust that what he has said about himself, God, and what he has said he will do is exactly who he is and exactly what he will do. So to all who are willing to listen and obey and to all who actually trust that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he will do, he gave them the right to become children of God. Okay? Now, again, to all who did receive him, who are we talking about? Anybody who's willing to internally receive the words and message and instruction of God and then live it out? Yep, that's, the, that's all, but how about him? Who is him? Oh, okay, the, the word, the wisdom, the yes. light. Yeah, everybody who receives him and believes in his name, listens and obeys, trusts what he says and he'll do, they have the right to become children of God. And they're not born, or I'm sorry, they are born. <laughs> they're born. <laughs> they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Sometimes it's good to see this a little bit in, in scriptures or whatever else. This time, I'm actually going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to take you out and show you a little thing from a Targum, and just a, a tiny little preview. A Targum is basically a, it's like a paraphrase of the Bible. In some sense, it's also maybe amplified a little bit. The point of it, the, the reason that people went to the trouble of writing them is that they were trying to get the well-understood understanding or ideas explicitly stated in the text so people didn't have to try so hard to figure out what it was. If anyone's ever heard of the message translation or paraphrase of the Bible, it's kind of like that, but in Hebrew terms. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, well, and actually it's like if you could take the message and the Amplified Bible, and if they had babies, yeah. <laughs> that would be the Targums, right? Mm-hmm. And so... So, uh, like, for example, uh, you, could, you could actually go to Targums and you, you would see things like, in the beginning, by wisdom, God created the heavens and the earth. What? <laughs> but, but they put it in there because they're trying to show you, hey, this word, this wisdom, it was there. God was working through it, right? So that's what the Targums are about. So I want I, I just bring that up because I want to show you a little something about this idea of receiving him and believing in his name. In uh, Deuteronomy 9.23, if, if you're reading in the Targum, it says something like this. You rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe in the holy name of the word. Okay, now the original text is, you did not believe him, but they replaced it with, did not believe in the holy name of the word. So to believe in his name, to trust what God has said, right, is what we would just say, believe him. And it continues, or you did not receive his word. And what's interesting about that one is the Targum says, did not receive his word, but what we would see in English, like the original text, is did not obey his voice. Hmm. So obeying his voice is equated with receiving his word, right? So you could see in the Targums, this is a really good example of the thing that I'm, I'm attempting to show you, the meaning behind these words or phrases. So just as the word or, or the light, whatever you want to call it, was an active part of that first creation, those who receive and believe are given the right to become a new creation. Mm. And we would say 
saved, born again, right? They would be children of God, born of God. It's so important that we see these all of the detail behind these pictures so that we understand what John's actually trying to communicate. All right, have I have I lost you? Are we are we like way outside the bounds of keeping up or what what's going on here? No, I think it's good. Um I think that personally the um, a lot of us in the west in the church have half of this equation down well. They have the believed in his name you know super well. I, lots of people know how to trust God and his name and what he's about, um, that he's reliable. But the aspect of receiving him, this this flowing aspect of getting instruction uh, and insight from that God and then translating that into action and obedience and doing things, that part is less received in terms of what faith is. So it's really good that you brought that up because... To Jewish people, it's a two—it's a twofold thing. It's definitely trust, but it's also trust results in doing. Yeah, yeah. The way that uh, I hear it said a lot is, it's faith and faithfulness. That's good. You know what? It's also going to get more complicated. I'm not going to bring it up here because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. We'll wait and save it and hurt their feelings later. <laughs> Yeah, what you're talking about is so, so true. So here's the thing. I've been, I've been trying to force you and everybody else to, hey, stop running ahead. Stop trying to insert Jesus where he hasn't been inserted yet. And so here we've gone through 13 verses. And all along the way, I've been trying to highlight the fact that, look, we got to remember that while the way John is telling the story, we keep, we're talking about the word this thing called the Word. We're not talking about Jesus yet. And all of these things that have been said, well, they are about the Word. And then finally, finally, we get to verse 14. And he says, and the Word became flesh. Now, what's the word that enters your brain, Samuel? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this is actually like a big conclusion of sorts. John has been setting all this up getting his reader to really get on track with things that they already know about. The creation story and this idea of the word or the wisdom and, and putting all those together, helping us to see and, and remember everything that was, that was in those ideas. And then he finally gets to verse 14 and he says, now that you've You've brought all of that to the front of your brain. Now that you've got that right where you need it, he delivers the big, the big finish. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I got I to gotta say, number one, go back to Genesis. And what do we call Genesis 1? The creation story. The creation story, because, well, there's a lot of stuff being created in there. But what is John describing here when he says that the word became flesh? It is a new. It's a new creation. It's a, a new creation. Yeah. yeah. And this is part of the big story that we have to familiarize ourselves with, and, and we'll get there. So now we've got this new creation, and yet... It's man. You know, again, it, it, it's, it's man. Except that this time, it's the true man. It's the image that Adam was created in, if you will. I mean, we, we sometimes say that Jesus is the second Adam, and it's true. And at the same time, we could say that 
Adam was made in his image because Jesus is the true man. There's a weird sort of uh, conflict or tension in that, and yet both things are true. Sometimes that's just the beauty of God. He does things that they're outside our, our understanding. But both things are true. This new man, he's more than just a man. And people talk about this a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, you'll hear people use phrases like the hypostatic union, or if I even remember that phrase right, uh, maybe I sound like a dork just a second there, uh, but whatever. But there's this idea that that Jesus is both God and man. And this verse, the word became flesh. The word was God. And and so you see it. It is both God and man. He's, he's this limited expression of God. But there's something we got to be really, really cognizant of. And that is that Jesus emptied himself of this form of God. And and the most relevant part in the story of his life and his death and his resurrection revolves around his humanity. That's the, the super relevant part of the story. Everything that he accomplished, he accomplished as a human in his flesh with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he just, you know, would rip open his shirt and all of a sudden there's a big G on his chest and it's like he used his God power to do everything. He did it as a man, empowered, enabled, sustained by the Spirit that was dwelling in him. I just want to add that what Paul is saying to me it makes the accomplishment of what Jesus did as we get into his story and his obedience and his life much more magnified if we think about him doing it within his human faculties, his human capacities, rather than this cop-out kind of answer that, oh, he's God, of course he could do it. Like To me, this the story seems more inviting when you think, oh, God limited his capacity and lived a perfect life to show us what the true man actually looks like. That is a story I want to be on board with. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes people don't like that story because what does it do? Probably makes them think of legalism and all kinds of other stuff, like, oh, he did it on the basis of works and not faith. Right, that's part of it, but it also actually makes it so that, wait a second, this sounds like this might actually put some responsibility (laughs) on me. Yeah, it's like people don't want responsibility. Yeah, yeah, it's all grace, baby. No, God did this. He demonstrated this because this is the thing that he desires from us and for us. This isn't a punishment. It's not legalism. It's that it is it is life and freedom. And we, and we can see that it is in some sense attainable. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying people need to somehow live perfect. I get it. I'm not. I don't expect you to be. But we also are humans. We also in this story we're going to discover later are new creations. And we also have this spirit. So should we not be living like Jesus did? Of course we should. And that looks very different from, you know, sort of the cop-out thing that you were talking about Mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I agree with you. I think it makes the story way more compelling. Because if it was just God that came down and lived perfectly, well, duh, big whoop as we used to say when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, he did this as a human. It's, it's, it's so important. And here, this sort of bolsters it. So if we go on a little bit, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, this also is part of the big, big story. God dwelt with man in the beginning, in the garden. God dwelt with man in the tabernacle, 
in the desert and in Israel, in the temple. God ultimately, if you read Revelation, God wants to dwell with man in the new heavens, in the new earth. And in this case, God dwells with man through the word. The word become flesh, this Jesus, right? He tabernacled with us. So I just think that that is a, another awesome picture we have to keep in our brains, this, this recurring theme in the scripture that God wants to dwell with human beings in creation. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. All right. He talks about the glory, and that also is kind of relating back to the temple, this idea of the only son from the father. Um, uh, just quick side note, there's this uh, story, these, these older stories talking about Abraham and Isaac. And uh, even in the scripture, it refers to Isaac as uh, Abraham's only son. And we know it wasn't. I mean, Ish- Ishmael was his firstborn. Mm-hmm. And then he had Isaac, and then later he has other kids, whatever. But this idea of the only son, or, or uh, another phrase we hear in the New Testament is only begotten son. It's this idea that there is one son who is so much like his father in his appearance, his mannerisms, his words, his actions, everything. He is so much like his father that people are confused. I don't even know who I'm talking to. Am I talking to the son or the dad? And Jesus was that. He was the only son from the father. And man, another thing, John throws in this phrase, full of grace and truth. This takes us back to Exodus. What am I thinking? Uh, Samuel, do you remember the 13 attributes of God? Mm -hmm. You remember where that comes from? It's in Exodus when Moses is on top of the mountain with God for the second time. Yeah, and Moses wants to see God, and God says, well, I guess I could do this. He hides him in the rock, right? Mm-hmm. Puts his hand in front. People usually miss. God expresses who he is. He declares what his name is. And they call it the 13 attributes. And one of the phrases in there is that he is full of grace and truth. So here's God telling Moses, this is who I am. And he uses the phrase full of grace and truth. And John throws it in here when he's talking about the word become flesh, full of grace and truth. So if anybody ever wanted to argue that Jesus was God, Jesus was, you know, uh, divine or whatever your argument is going to be, there are a lot of scriptures that you could use that actually aren't worth a dime. But this one, this one knocks it out of the park. This one is undeniable. This is powerful stuff. Yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff. And I'd like to add real quick, just before you move on, um, one of the things that helped me in this verse put it all together, they seem like passing words, but in the second half where it says, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace of truth. I know a lot in the Western church, they that's a big theological term, and in my opinion, it seems funky the way they explain it, but Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, in Jewish thought, they use the word glory frequently to talk about presence. And yes. so, in this case, if you do the thing that we did earlier and interpose another word in the translation, it says, so that, that wisdom it became flesh, it became human, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his presence. The yes. presence as if it was the only son of a father, almost identical, full of grace and truth. Like, that's big to me. If you can get little bits like that to say, oh, like, the whole point of this is to tell you that God came onto earth and we get to experience his presence as if we were getting to experience the fullness of the Father without being vaporized. Like, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, think about it. What was in the tabernacle? Uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And what was seated on the Ark? Uh, the mercy seat. And what was sitting in that seat? The The presence of God. Yeah, His glory, His presence. It was also in the temple. So yeah, you're exactly right. It's the presence and and it that 
man, verse 14, when you, when you properly set it up with the 13 verses that precede it, that verse is, that's just killer. It's just, it's loaded with power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get little shivers. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> All right. All right, let's see if we can finish this up. We got just a, a few more verses and maybe there's kind of a logical breaking point. Let's see if we can get there. Uh, verse 15 says, uh, and it's at least in, in my version, we're doing ESV, by the way, mm-hmm. if anybody cares. Uh, it's, it's in parentheses. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because... He was before me. And so he's calling back. He'd already brought up John the Baptist, uh, talking about the light. And, and, and now that he's, he's finally given the big, the big uh, finish, oh, the word became flesh. It was Jesus, right? That kind of thing. Um, he goes back to John the Baptist for more testimony because John the Baptist witnesses and says, this is the one. This is the guy. And even throws in the little bit about he was before me because the word was at the beginning, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So awesome picture. And then he goes on and says this, oh man, this may not be as quick as I'd hope, but this is really, really good. So verse 16, he says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, this is going to be a toughie. From whose fullness? Uh, the, the word, the wisdom. Yeah. And, and because we've made it through verse 14, now we can actually go ahead and say, Jesus, mm-hmm. right? From his fullness, because it just said that he, like the Father is full of grace and truth. Now, someone else may argue, nah, that's definitely, that's God. For from his fullness, God. And you know what? I'm just gonna go with, yeah, okay. It's the either or. I'm good with both. And by the way, don't we think that God is one? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So there you go. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, interesting thing about this. Underneath the text, you're gonna see that that word upon I mean, grace upon grace, that, that sounds pretty good, right? But the word underneath is more like against. Hmm. It actually, it's a little bit confusing. And, and you have to try to get the context. So, so we're going to read verses 16 and 17 together. That's important. And we're also going to try to, you know, keep in mind everything that John has already been showing us to put this together. So from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So it's either, if it's really against, it would be like, well, there was one grace and then that got replaced with another grace. Or, and this I think is what's more appropriate, it's not exactly against in, in, in like the way we would think of uh, butting heads or, or replacing, like the word that I used, but it's more like over against. And, and uh, it's kind of like if you had, uh, let's say you took a chair, has four legs, right? And you leaned it back on two of its legs. How hard is it to get that chair to just lean there on those two legs? Well, that's super hard. But if you took a second chair and you put them back to back and you leaned them back so that each one was on two legs, but they were leaning against one another, well, they stand right up. Or you could do it with two boards. Try to get a board to stand up on end. But you could actually have two boards standing up on end if they are leaning against one another, right? So these two graces, they are against one another, but it's like over against one another, leaning against one another. And so the idea that they're portraying is it's it's uh, it's additive, right? So grace upon grace is is a good translation, and then he explains it. For the law was given through Moses, 
Well, there's your first grace. And then grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, this word that has become flesh. And so these two graces work together to stand, if if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a callback to the Genesis narrative again with um, creation of woman for Adam. In Genesis 3, 18, God says, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The Hebraic thought behind that phrase, suitable for him, is the help that opposes or the help that complements. So a lot of people think that, oh, husband and wife, they're butting heads, they're opposition to one another. That's what that means. No, it's like God created a complement to man to help him be the fullest sense of himself that he can be with that partner. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you've got the Torah. It's the first installment of grace. Jesus, he's the second installment. And and the, the important thing, and, and maybe it's important just to say this out loud, Jesus's life affirmed everything that was in the Torah. They work together because they are, in some sense, the same thing. Oh, beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Well, uh, last little verse. God, uh, God, John finishes up <laughs> and he says this. No one has ever seen God. But then he adds, the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. And there's another one. You want a verse that actually says that God and Jesus are one, divine, all that? No one has ever seen God. And then he says, the only God who is at the Father's side. Well, wait, I thought God is the Father. (laughs) But this only God is at the Father's side, right? So you see it, Jesus sitting at the right hand, all that kind of thing. But how this relates is he has become flesh. He is uh, this, this, this visible God, like the only son, right? That kind of thing. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. That's in New Testament scriptures, right? If you have seen him, then this, this saying, no one has ever seen God, it is at, at all at once true. Yeah, you really haven't seen God. But if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And this whole idea, these, these tensions of, well, you can't have both. Yes, you can. You can. And that's, that's part of reworking our minds, reworking our brains to get on board with the story that God is telling. Some of these things that seem illogical or weird or how can both be true at the same time, if, if you will hold those in balance together and, and see the story through that kind of a lens, you actually will comprehend the story better because the thinking and the culture and everything that's behind what we're reading, they have no problem with those things at all. Mm-hmm. They hold on to them all the time, and it's what makes it so rich. But anyway, I think that we have beat this horse to death. <laughs> and if people who are listening at home aren't screaming, uh, ah, by this point, um, then they probably are now. <laughs> yeah. Or they're the kind of people that we want tuning in every week. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, do you have anything else that we need to bring up or announce before we close it out? Nope. I think we've said enough for one session. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. Until next time, we pray and hope that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.